From New York City, I'm Adam Teeter. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal. And this is the Vine Pair Podcast. And Zach, I think you might have noticed that I said from New York City, not from our New York City headquarters, because due to lots of travel this week, I'm actually recording my side of the podcast in my apartment, in my living room, just on my laptop without any of the audio equipment we usually use. So to all of our listeners, I sincerely apologize if the audio doesn't sound as good as it normally does. But uh, that's just the life of you know, running a media empire, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I want I want everyone to respect our hustle because uh, it's Saturday and we're recording, and so you know, we that's how much we love you all. Uh, I got up, you know, early this morning to come record this podcast, so uh, you know, that's just that's yeah, that, man. that's that's the I dedication. Um, so life we live, Adam. I know you were you were as you mentioned traveling, and uh, you were you were at the uh, Santa Monica uh, was it the wine festival? Uh, how how was yeah, that? Santa Monica wine festival. Dude, it was awesome. I mean, it was like 3,000 people that are definitely our, you know, our readers. So um, millennials in LA that are really into wine, uh, beer and cocktails, some really cool producers pouring. I think the most successful producer was Scarbolo from, you know, from Italy. They make a skin contact Pinot Grigio and people really responded well to that. Uh, to that wine. It was fun also like listening to Matias, who's the the now young owner who's sort of our age taking over for his parents, explain to people that, you know, this is what orange a skin contact white wine is. It's it's kind of an orange wine. No, it's not rose. You know, and I think these kind of festivals are always really interesting for me to attend because it, it also helps prove again and again and again how out of touch the majority of like the wine industry is compared to consumer. <laughs> yeah. Right, like wine industry thinks, like, oh my god, everyone knows what orange wine is. That's so five years ago, and you're teaching all these people who are really into wine as consumers what orange wine is for the first time, yeah, or you know how to just taste wine in general for the first time <laughs> in a way that they feel like isn't intimidating, yeah. Um, and so I, we we love doing these festivals and being media sponsors of these festivals because it really helps keep us grounded in terms of like what the actual consumer perceptions are in, about wine as opposed to like what a very small cool kid club is claiming about, you know, what the future of wine is. Like, so seriously, we had a thousand people at each session, right? And we did these education seminars, myself and Keith, where we taught probably I'd say 250 people a session, right? Mm -hmm. So you could come to this one part of the festival and sit down and listen to us. And quite often, just for fun, we would ask them, have you ever heard of natural wine? No one raised their hands. Have you ever heard of you know, skin contact orange wine, no one will raise their hands. You guys still fans of Merlot and Cabernet? Everyone will raise their yep. hands. You know, what's Cru Beaujolais? Uh, is that Beaujolais Nouveau? And again and again and again, Keith and I just turn to each other and say, yeah, see, like, this is proof. Yep, for sure. This is complete proof. But like, here's where the actual consumer is sitting and where a large portion of the industry is, especially in cities like New York, Seattle, Chicago, LA, San Francisco, they are completely opposite of those consumers. Yeah, for sure. And this is why there's such a frustration in the dining room. So it was it was really interesting, man. A lot of fun. I, I recommend next time we do it, because we're gonna do it again next year, you're coming down. Awesome. Yeah, maybe we'll do a podcast live from uh from the beach or something. Doesn't sound too bad. Yeah, that was also awesome. I want to point out that um for those of you who who follow Vine Pair on Instagram, I saw some sweet sweet vine pear swag uh i think some sweatshirts I know, I know i know i was like i gotta get my hands on one of those uh before too long your thighs. i will we'll, we'll keep that off the air because uh you know i don't need everything about me made public but uh um <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I want i want to say something else which is like that I, I think it's awesome that you had that great experience and i'm going to talk about an experience i had recently that 
pissed me off. So, oh yes, I love when we talk about shit that pisses us yeah. off. It's the best part of this podcast. So, my wife is. Um, as often happens, people she works with know me. They know what I do. So I get requests from them for all kinds of random wine stuff, which is fine. I'm happy to do it. And in this case, one of her coworkers is planning a work event in another city. And, you know, I think someone else was responsible for booking the restaurant. And this person was sort of tasked with ordering the wine for, I don't know, it's like 30 people or something like that. And so they turned to me and said, hey, can you take a look at the list and make some suggestions? And I said, sure, like happy to. So they sent me the list. And I got to tell you, Adam, this place bills itself as a wine bar. And this was the saddest fucking list of wines I have ever seen. Like it would be disgraceful for like a mediocre hotel restaurant. It's nothing but like, and I know, I know we just, we, we just got talking about how, you know, the you know you and me or people in our position often like get out ahead of where the consumer base is but like this is like a place that's billing itself as a wine bar mind you and it's like nothing but the biggest brands like you know huge production um or very large production california wine or at least very well-known california wine and a little bit of european wine because i guess someone was like yeah maybe you should have something from like you know two wines from france but again like huge producer in burgundy huge producer in bordeaux and it was just like I'm sure they do fine, but it was just so depressing to me that there was like I I was like I don't know what to recommend. Oh, and of course, everything else everything is like crazy marked up. Like this is clearly a place that subs- that survives on expense accounts and is like happy to just charge you 5 6 times the the wholesale price for some of these wines. And I mean, I was looking at and granted different city, different state, so maybe a slightly different wholesale price, but definitely not enough to make it up for like wines that are that I as a restaurant could buy for $12 and they're, they're selling it for 65 on a list. Like that just pisses me off. Cause again, you know, in the same way that, or in a, in a slightly similar way to, to how talking over people's heads about wine can, can drive them away from it, you know, ripping someone off. And, and that's really what this is. Ripping someone off when it comes to wine is going to only reinforce that the wine industry is elitist and, you know, yep. for, for the, ultra wealthy and yes is there wine out there that's super expensive for a variety of reasons of course there is but like these wines should not have been 60 70 100 200 like someone is making some serious bank and so i guess you know can't knock the hustle but like that was just it just it i really did like it i was like for 15 minutes after looking at this list i was like in a really bad mood and i was like it's yeah. not even my like I, I don't ever have to deal with this it's not even someone Fuck i'm never gonna die there but you know it just it drives me nuts you know in the same way that like the story you were telling the other week about the really really bad service you got it's just like man these people are out here fucking up things up for me for us and i and i hate it we're fucking up for all of us yeah, yeah. i mean look i think here's where i'm gonna say something that might surprise people for as, as like much as i think we are really not eat you know hard on on certain wine bars compared to how we think there should be recognizable things on the list for consumers i do think for sure there should be recognizable things on the list for consumers however you are not wrong to be incredibly pissed off in this situation because in my opinion and i think in the opinion of most people a wine bar should be the place where you can go to learn about new and different wines for sure that should be what it exists for Right. And so therefore they are doing a massive disservice to the world of wine by pouring grocery store bottles. Yep. Right. We we would be up in arms if a place that touted itself as a craft beer bar was only serving craft beer made and manufactured by AB and Bev. Right. That's great that they now own Goose Island and Ten Barrel Brewing and whatever, but those are now mass production beers. And you go to a craft beer bar, a true craft beer bar, to discover small craft breweries that you 
would normally not know about or craft beer styles that are just, you know, coming onto its own. And you expect the person behind the bar to be knowledgeable and not a fucking snob. And that's, that's the issue with the wine bar as well. I expect a non snobby person who pours interesting wines to help me learn about new wine styles, regions, et cetera, that I might, you know, now fall in love with. I don't expect to go to a wine bar and drink Robert Mondavi or Yellowtail. Yeah. I just don't. <laughs> and if that's on the list, that's not cool. Yeah. And I think it's okay to have a few really familiar wines. Like, I don't, my point wasn't like, do. how does this place have any of these wines? It's how is this the entirety of their list? I mean, literally, the two wines I had to recommend were like two of the token European wines because I was like, well, at least these are good and not like, super widely available everywhere and I'm, i think probably they made it on the list kind of like someone someone made a mistake i'm guessing is how that happened but um you know i think it's just yeah it's just it, it bums me out because because it's just it you know this it does a disservice to to the to wine okay. and you know i take that okay. stuff personally sort of look but look we have to everyone's in it to make a buck yeah. right and there's a lot of people out there in the world and this is about you know the listener being a smart consumer right there's a lot of people who are trying to trade on the fact that they just put wine bar in front of their place's name or you know craft beer bar from the place's name and they're not true craft beer bars they're not true wine bars or they're not true cocktail bars and you as a consumer have to be smart as to what that means as well and don't let yourself get ripped off (laughs) and don't let someone take your dollar just because they're trying to trade on what's trendy and of the moment right just because you know micro greens are all the the trend in food doesn't mean that you should be eating at every restaurant that has micro greens on the menu if they don't know what what to do with them Right. It's the same idea here. Be a smart consumer. Know that that place is not truly a wine bar and take your money elsewhere Yeah, because they're just trying to, to jump in on the trend of people liking to drink wine with plates of cheeses and meats. Yeah. But I want to drink good wine with good plates of cheeses and meats, not shitty wine with craft singles. Yeah. I'm like, we just got to call that shit out. Yep. And I'm for calling sure. it out now. <laughs> so, oh. so speaking of things that need calling out, I think uh, we're going to, we're going to sort of transition into some, uh, some terms in the beverage world that you and I would like to see curl up and die, I think, is kind of how I'm, I'm, I'm picturing I'm really it. excited about this. So I'm going to start off with one, and it's actually two terms that are that are linked that I just despise. And it's whenever anyone describes a wine as either masculine or feminine. And here's why. Oh, I fucking hate it. Yeah. <laughs> I hate it for, for two different reasons. I mean, there's this sort of obvious reason that, you know, it's – kind of shitty in this modern environment to ascribe, you know, sort the sorts of um, characteristics to men or women that that people using these terms inevitably do, because masculine wines are always talked about as big and bold and strong and forceful, and feminine wines are always talked about as elegant and graceful and pretty. But you know what? Just use those fucking words. Like the words you would use to describe what you mean by a masculine or feminine wine, you could just use those words. You don't make people uncomfortable. I mean, I have been in the presence of winemakers especially you see this you know i hate to say it you see it more in europe than you do here but it definitely happens here too where someone is you know like describing their wine like it's a person and it's both weird and sometimes uncomfortable it's also totally unrelatable like those things do not translate into a drinking experience as you or i or or anyone would truly understand it and you know, it's also, like I said, it's just kind of lazy shorthand. It, it bugs me because we can use words that are related to the actual experience of drinking the wine. And if you just go, oh, this is such a masculine wine or such a feminine wine, it's like, well, I mean, why not just call it a, you know, I don't know. Uh, it, it just it gets it gets too far removed from the actual experience of drinking the wine for me. I agree. 
I agree. I think it's like completely, completely bullshit. And it's just at this point, there, there's so many lazy terms in so many of these, uh, you know, drinking a virus. I think you see that even in terms of the, the cocktail world where, you know, people say, well, this is more of a masculine cocktail, meaning like, well, we think more men will drink it. Well, it is a feminine cocktail. And usually when it's a feminine cocktail, it's a cocktail that's sweet. Right. So you're all of a sudden thinking like, okay, well, it's a masculine cocktail. So it's booze forward. You're saying only men want to drink booze forward flavors. Just say it's booze forward. And when you're saying it's more of a feminine cocktail, you're saying, oh, well, uh, it's a sweet cocktail because we think women like sweeter things. No, just say this is something with lots of sugar. Right. And I'll be the judge of whether or not I want to drink that cocktail or not. For sure. Right. I think it's, it's really interesting the way that we do that and the way that we, we've gendered drinks, but we gender everything. Right. And it's something we have to be better at because it, I think it, it causes certain people who, you know, obviously are less self-assured, you know, of themselves to also now not try things. It's like, oh, this is this is a drink for women that I'm not going to drink it. No, fuck you, man. Just drink what you want to drink. Yeah. I mean, I think actually right, it's, like, it's kind of cool that in that specific space that I think like rosé is like the one thing that has sort of escaped being gendered. Like, I think it was it's still there's some of that. And I think you and I maybe have talked about this in the past of this sort of like over like you know, this this sort of style of rosé or way of selling rosé that's, like, very targeted at women specifically. But it's but it's mostly for, for something that is, like, yeah, you know, pink, and we definitely have a lot of gendered things that are pink in this country. Um, it is it is the one thing that I feel like has kind of escaped it, and, and that's actually kind of cool. One, one point in rosé's favor. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to combine two terms into one because I think they apply to both the genre, both, both styles, both beer and wine, but they're two different terms that are used, but they're both ones that I want to see go away, right? And that is crushable for beer <laughs> or glue glue for wine. Oh God. I am sick of these terms in which we as drinks professionals talk about alcohol in a way that is alcohol abuse. Yeah. Right? Glue glue, for those that don't listen, is the whole natural term that means chug chug, glug glug, right? It means we would chug the wine. And crushable is very easy. It means you can drink lots of it. I if we are going to move forward as a more intelligent and informed drinking public, we have to admit that there is addiction in this business and there is a problem of overindulgence. And by celebrating that, by describing certain beverages as ones in which we would overindulge, we are just helping to further create the problem. Mm-hmm. Right. And so this celebration of overindulgence in wine is an issue, right? It, at the end of the day, wine and beer have alcohol in them. And there are certain people around the world that have issues with alcohol. And if we cannot admit to ourselves as an industry that that is true and that we should do our best to encourage responsible consumption, then we should not be in the industry. And therefore, like, I'm sick of it. Look, I'm also seeing it in cannabis now. Like when I was just out in California, the people in the industry talking about how these are really like, you know, products to get baked on. Look, I don't. Cannabis is not a gateway drug, but cannabis is a drug that some people develop problems with, right? If we want to have these things, if we want to have nice things, <laughs> we cannot celebrate over-intoxication. Yeah. We can't celebrate that it's really fun to get fucked up. And we can't take pictures as wine professionals or beer professionals of ourselves shotgunning beers or chugging from bottles. Oh, God. Thank you for mentioning that. That is – I was going to say, if you didn't mention it – that 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 photo of whomever drinking straight from the bottle of wine. You know who it is? It's a 
it's a wine influencer based in LA. We all know who she well, is. And she writes for a very high art publication. It's become extremely and widespread. So it is not just we her. We got to stop that yeah. shit. It's bad for the industry. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I think it's interesting because, you know, you talk about it and I think you're totally right to talk about how those terms encourage a sort of irresponsible consumption level. And and it's weird because, like, you know, most of us kind of go through – or not most of us. I'd say people go through a phase when, you know, you're in college or whatever where you – have your experience drinking and maybe you drink in excess and you're drinking, you know, you're chugging cheap beer or you're getting, you know, you're drinking whatever the cheapest, you know, sort of, you know, well drink you can or, or whatever your experience is. And, you know, most of us kind of grow out of that. Obviously, some people have real issues with alcohol and and are not able, ever able to to handle it, you know, in that sort of controlled way. But like to come back to that in your later 20s, 30s, 40s, whatever, and sort of say like, no, the goal here is to just like drink as much as we can is is unpleasant and and yeah has real issues with it and and yeah normalizes a behavior that we really shouldn't i think the other part of it is is it's like you know we we i think advocate for taking what you drink with some degree of seriousness and obviously to you know different people can care different amounts and i'm not saying that you have to only drink the most sort of thought-provoking beverages possible but like you know if the selling point for your uh, for your beer or your wine is basically like you can drink a lot of it and not really notice it then like what are you doing like I, that that to me is that's a way that's the way you sell you know really really inexpensive product is basically like yeah you won't really notice this while you drink it and that's you know not that's not what I want to talk about and and I think it's it's an unfortunate thing that gets ascribed to a lot of um a lot of beverage that should be taken more seriously than just considered fodder for you know a drunken night or a dumb Instagram photo I mean, think about it, right? Like when we when we watch TV or movies and we see someone swig from the bottle, that's always the director trying to give us a clue that this person has an alcohol problem. Yeah. Right. So when we celebrate people who are doing that or talking about these terms of chuggable, crushable, glue, glue, we are basically reinforcing that that's cool and okay. And so for all of the publicists and and people in marketing that listen to this podcast, I'm actually asking you right now. Please don't work with the, those types of, of influencers. It's overall bad for the industry. Yeah. Please ask them not to do that with the product. It's also bad because for them. The day, <laughs> it's bad for them. You're And you're encouraging them as well. You are. And you're also saying to people who've had addiction problems that you don't really care. Yeah. And alcohol is about being you know, thoughtful about its consumption. Yeah. It's a serious, and, serious drug. Like no joke. It, it, it can fuck up your life and it can, and it can do it short, uh, quickly or slowly, but like we should not take that as lightly as you're right. As a lot of people in the industry do. Yeah, exactly. So those, that, those are my first two terms. Wanted to get them out of the way. Cause man, I hate to be, I hate that I went on the soapbox there, but like, mm-hmm. it just, it really has bothered me recently where I've seen this, you know, massive acceptance of terms. I think, that really borderline on alcohol, you know, abuse issues. Yeah. So next. Okay. Well, we're going to step away from that, I think. Um, so I'm going to talk about a term that I really, really dislike. And it's it's not because of any one person and it's not because of any one thing. It's just it's the term dry. And here's why. For one- oh, I hate the term dry. We talked about this <laughs> at the Santa Monica Wine Festival. I hate it because you know why? No one knows what the fuck it means. Exactly. I mean, it is – it has it's one of these things where it's like okay within the wine circle most of the time if you're talking to a sommelier or you're talking to a winemaker we use the term dry to denote a wine where there is essentially no residual sugar left so when the wine is fermented all or almost all of the sugar is fermented into alcohol 
great. But like dry is a dumb term for that. It, it, I don't know where it came from. I, I assume French probably originally. Um, Had to be, right? It's yeah, it, it's usually their fault. Um, but like dry is like, it, it, for one, it's a, we're talking about a liquid, so it's confusing to people in the first place why we're describing it as dry. Second of all, we don't ever in any other context in the world think of the opposite of sweet as dry, like only in no. wine. And or maybe in you know cider or whatever, right? Because alcohol, alcohol, yeah, yeah. I mean, but even in, I don't even hear that so much yeah. in like any other kind of beverage alcohol besides basically wine and maybe cider. Um, and I, I put it now in brute IPAs. Oh, interesting. Well, yeah. they should stop co-opting that term because it's a dumb one. Yeah. <laughs> and then of course it gets extremely confusing to people because they talk about they talk about dry when people ask me for wine for dry wines, right? Well, maybe they're saying they want a dry white wine because they want something without without residual sugar. But frankly, no. the, yeah, most of the time they don't. They just that's the term they think they should say, right? And with red wines, it's even more ridiculous because for one thing, they what most people are talking about is they want a tannic red wine. They want a wine that's going yeah. to produce a drying sensation in their mouth, which is fine. I get that. But of course, the funny thing is, a lot of the wines that those people like especially if they're from, like, say, California, often are not actually technically dry. They actually do often have some residual sugar, which is kind of... Lots of residual sugar. <laughs> which is how they actually taste so good in some ways. Um, but it's just, it's a massively confusing term that has no real utility. It doesn't describe something that we can't use other words for. I personally think that it would be better if we actually co-opted a different French term for this to refer to, I'm sorry, to refer to um, wines that don't, don't have any sugar in them as brut. And, you know, it makes sense with... With the sort of the sparkling wine champagne scale, it's more obvious what someone is talking about as the opposite of sweet. And then, as far as if you want a tannic or or wine that has sort of a drying sensation, you know, then then we can at least maybe reserve the term dry for that. But but really, I think the wine world and wine communication would be better if no one used that word ever again. I agree. I, it's really interesting when we go to uh, like at the Santa Monica Wine Festival teaching these classes you would ask people what they think dry means and everyone thinks it means the sensation that dries out their mouth. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I think it's crazy too, that the majority of wine professionals who, you know, serve these people have never told them that's not what it means. Yeah. Well, it's and hard so, to tell. It's hard to tell a guest. No, you're wrong. <laughs> that's no, no, I think you should, but, but what they also say is they, they never have been told even what it means to begin with. So, or even ask like, Hey, what do you mean when you say dry? Yeah. And then saying to them, Oh, Hey, what you actually mean is you want a, a wine that's high in tannin. Yeah. Oh, interesting. And these wines can be Cabernet Sauvignons, but they could also be Nebbiolos. They could be right. Sure. No one is doing that education for the consumer. Mm -hmm. And so the consumer thinks what they're saying is right. Yeah. And meanwhile, in certain situations, they're getting wines that they didn't intend to get because they wanted, as you're saying, these fruitier wines that also happen to have tannin in them. Yeah. These wines that had a lot of sugar because they're high in alcohol. And as we all know, sugar was one's alcohol. I mean, alcohol was one's sugar. And therefore, the wine has sweeter flavors, even at, at its higher alcohol, but they don't know. Yeah. So let's just kill it. Another word we need to kill, because no one knows what the fuck it means, minerality. Oh, I have that on my list. <laughs> Gotta go. No one knows what it means. It's a bullshit cover term for a bunch of other things. No, you cannot taste actual minerality in wine. Oh, it's what, it's what wet rocks taste like. Then say it tastes like wet rocks. Yeah. Also, how many people go out licking rocks every day? You don't know what min like what licking rock. It's time to fucking go. Minerality. Bye bye. It's, I don't have much else to say about it. Just bye. Yeah. So it's weird to me. Like in the time that I've been in the in the wine industry, minerality went from like a term that was used in the industry a little bit to like stuff that you see on 
on menus and like people really, really kind of pushing this. And in part, like it sounds compelling, right? Like, you know, it, it feeds back into this idea, you know, you and I have done a podcast about terroir and my general sense that it's mostly bullshit. Um, and I don't actually have terroir on my list cause we've already covered that ground, but what I was going to say that like, <laughs> that like minerality is like this, it, it, we want to believe it's true, right? It sounds like, oh, well, sure. The wine grew in fractured basalt. So of course it tastes like whatever fractured basalt tastes like, um, or like, oh, look at it. It grew, you know, it grew on limestone and it's, it, it tastes like, you know, and it's like, I mean, it's a beautiful idea that has absolutely no truth behind it. And the more we do science, the more we study this, the more we realize, like, there's just nothing to any of that that is truthful. And and it well, sucks yeah, in some all... ways. It would be beautiful if it was true. But but thankfully, in a lot of ways, yeah. grapes and grapevines are way more complicated than that. And it's way more complicated than just saying, like, oh, the soil you planted on, those flavors, I guess, or whatever, end up in the wine. Like, that's just not true. And I agree. It's so. Proven it yeah but it's man it's, I mean, but, it sticks around because it's just so fucking compelling and i have yeah, like a sympathy it's easy. it's easy i mean we, we talked about this in the article that felix salmon wrote for us uh you know in the mi- middle of last year right the headline was like you love science until it takes away from the magic in your glass yeah. and that's completely true like i think a lot of people in wine really dig science we like chemistry we think it's really or in beverage in general right i love the fact that i can brew a beer i can you know make the wart i can cool it down i can add yeast in and like that yeast all of a sudden is gonna make something i can drink that's not only delicious but will get me a little buzzed i love that but the second you start using science to prove that things we just believe exist don't exist like terroir right there have been tons of scientific studies that prove that terroir doesn't exist we have tons of scientific studies that prove that the vines take none of the minerals from the ground none right there's actually none of those minerals on the wine yeah we've proven that through science, through agricultural research, we then say, fuck it. Nope, don't, don't want to listen to that. Staying away from this magical beauty that I'm learning in a school that isn't scientific, right? Sommelier certification, there's nothing to do with science. No one is taking chemistry classes in sommelier certification. Definitely not. But they're, they're using words that sound scientific. Yeah. But if we actually used scientific research, we would prove that all these things don't exist. Yeah. So let's just stop using the terms. I completely agree. <sighs> okay. Well, we we both have that one on the list. So I have a much smaller, like, not a big part of the of any we part of the bang through, man. We got to bang them through. Yeah. So what do you got? I got cast conditioned, and here's the real reason. Like, we're not in England. I don't want cast conditioned beer. Like, I get it. There's maybe an audience for like what is essentially like pale, or I'm sorry, um, like lukewarm flat beer. But like, get that shit out of here. I got juice bomb. Get the fucking shit out of here. I don't need to know that my beer is a juice bomb. Yeah. Like, bye-bye. <laughs> like, I, I don't need it. Ugh. Okay, so my last one that I have on my list, and this is painful for me to say, I kind of want to kill the term sommelier. I would love to. Thank you. Here's the, here's the reason. I like to kill the here's, the, here's the reason. So one is, like, it's impossible for people to pronounce, which is maybe not the biggest reason we should get rid of the term. The other reason is, like, it is used now so liberally, both within the wine trade, but now it's like, man, I see shit every day that's like, here's a sake sommelier, here's a beer sommelier. There's actually a term for that. Water sommelier. Yeah, water, water sommelier. You know, cannabis sommeliers. Now you're seeing like, there's like, the term is being used basically for anyone who, I don't know, is trying to sell you something or as an expert. Like, you know, 
I, I really want to go to like a, a next time my wife and I get a new car, I want to go to the car dealership and be like, can we speak to your car sommelier, please? We'd really like <laughs> we'd really like someone who can can really guide us through the experience. It's like get that shit out of here. Like a sommelier is a very specific job. It is also way less glamorous than most of you think. I'm sorry to break it to you. It's more really than just tasting time. wine. And I don't have any problem with people who actually perform the job calling themselves a sommelier. I have a problem with people who don't, who have co-opted it, or who were once sommeliers but do not work in the in a restaurant anymore, who have, you know, a tenuous connection to it at best. Like, be a wine professional. Be a wine expert. Be a whatever. You can be a, lots of things, but... I work in wine. Yeah, like, it does not have... It's, yeah. it's just become this... Again, it's it's become this lazy shorthand. It's become you know, painfully overused and inaccurate. And like, I think you and I, as, as people who are in, you know, in the sort of field of communications and journalism, one of the, I think one of the common threads for all these words is like, we want people, we want language that is precise and describes a specific thing and words that, that do not have no place in the vocabulary in this industry. But there's, you know, again, like with minerality and terroir and all these things, there's a romance to it and a, and a, you know, sort of a, a saleability of these things that like, I get why people do it. It just drives me fucking crazy. Well, so then I'm going to end with the, one of the ones that's bothered me in the cocktail world. And I think, you know what it's going to be. Oh, I, well, it's, is it a word that you use a lot? I've used it. Everyone <laughs> I think uses it. Mixology. Yeah. What the fuck does it even mean? It sounds scientific. Mixology? I think that's the appeal, right? Like, these people are amazingly talented bartenders. Call them craft cocktail bartenders. Call them cocktail bartenders. They're bartenders. Yeah. Like it's mixology, mixologist. It just sounds so pretentious. Yeah. Like, you know, it's the same thing of, I get it. We have these terms that are like, we want to, we want to identify that this is different. Right. And so therefore we, I mean, again, I could have lots of terms. Like I also want to kill craft. We had a whole episode about mm-hmm. that. So we don't have to do it again. But these terms that, we, we adopt in order to differentiate ourselves from everything else, right? So I get it. A, a craft cocktail bar is totally different than a dive bar that, you know, is just banging out vodka sodas and Bloody Marys and, you know, whiskey's neat all night long. I get that. You're making really beautifully executed, high quality, often original recipe, or at least recipe inspired, original recipe inspired cocktails mm-hmm. with high quality ingredients but like let's just stop calling it mixology and mixologists yeah let's just say that these are like the most talented bartenders in the industry you know, these are the best bars and i actually think a and lot of those people have really if they ever I use the I mixology do. term like to me it's actually my big tell for someone who doesn't actually know what they're doing if they describe themselves as a mixologist like they're probably not actually all that good at bartending and they're probably kind of an asshole yep God, it's so good. I think we could do another episode on terms, man, because I got a lot more. <laughs> but you know, I mean, we, we chatted for thirty minutes, and I think I think that's good for a Saturday morning. Yeah, I got to go get uh, some breakfast, man. Damn. See, I'm I'm already on lunch. Yeah, well, that's that I'm, East Coast West Coast thing. You know, man. But I, everyone, I, we love. I'd love to hear what what terms uh, listeners think should go. So if you just email podcast at vinepair.com. again, that's podcast at vinepair.com. Let us know what what terms in the wine, beer, or spirits industry you want to see die, and we'll talk about them on a future episode. Yeah, or if you want to Thanks defend, so if you want to defend any of these terms that we told, we we no, there's no defense out there. <laughs> yeah, they're dead, man. They're dead. Uh, but yeah, as always, thank you all so much for listening. And Zach, I'll see you again back here next week. Sounds great. 
Thanks for listening to Vine Pair. We'd love to hear what you think. Feel free to drop us a line at podcast at vinepair.com. And if you really love the show, we'd love if you rate it and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Reviews and ratings really help other people discover the show. Now for the credits. Vinepair is recorded in New York City at Vinepair headquarters and in Seattle, Washington at Cloud Studios. Our engineer is Nick Patry, and the show is produced by Zach Jawal and me. Our show logo was designed by Daniel Gridberg. Special thanks as well to the entire Vinepair staff, including but not limited to my co-founder, Josh Mallon, and our editor-in-chief, Emily Saladino. Thanks so much for listening, and see you next week.